Blog Talk Radio. edition of BCI Radio. Pardon the BC interruption. This is your host, AJ Black. I'm here waiting for Eric Hoffs to show up. He will be my co-host for the day. Uh, we're here to talk a lot about what we just saw, the aftermath of the Georgia Tech debacle, um, the, the Drubbin and Dublin. Uh, it was not a pretty game. We saw what we feared the most. Steve Adazio turning into the hesitant conservative coach that instead of playing to win the game played not to lose and in the end that screwed bc over big time they could not keep georgia tech out they did not score enough points to win and we're going to talk lots about the plays that really turned this game into a loss that should have been an easy win for the eagles so we're still uh hanging on here for eric um so you're going to have to listen to me ramble for a little while. The first play that really drove me crazy, we saw the kicking game. The kicking game struggled. We did not have a good kicker in Colton Lichtenberg. I thought when the season began, he may be someone that could be a consistent kicker, someone that we might have seen like a Nate Freeze, like a like a um, Steve Apinovich. I can't even pronounce his name. I'm so uh, jazzed up right now. But what we got, we got another struggling kicker. It started off with a blocked extra, uh, field goal. And then, I cannot believe this even happened. Fourth and two, we have a 6'5", 250-pound quarterback. Adazio calls timeout, and instead of going for it, pushing that pile, being that physical running um, offense that BC said that uh, there should be that what Adazio wanted them to turn into, we get a field goal attempt. And we all knew how it was going to end. Wide. It wasn't even close. And here, I think we have Eric Hostis, so let's bring him on in. Eric, is that you? Hey, what's going on? Oh, so we got Eric here. We're, I was just rambling about the uh, fourth and two. Uh, so we're talking about, we're going to bring it back a little bit. Um, talking about Georgia Tech, talking about the conservative nature of the end of that game and how it screwed over BC for their first loss of the year. Eric, what was the what was the pivotal point for you in that loss to Georgia Tech? Um, I, the most painful part, I think, of watching for me was actually uh, Adazio's uh, play calling on the second-to-last series of the game there. You know, BC gets the ball back. Uh, a little under six minutes to go. Uh, realistically, they just got to pick up a few first downs and the game's over. They run out the clock, uh, you know, by themselves. They don't even need to put the defense on the field. And, um, you know, if if you look up to that point in the second half, BC was really taking it to uh, Georgia Tech in that second half on offense. You had Hellman's big run there and then you had uh two other drives both 10 plus play drives one of them they went uh about 55 yards or so 
The other one, uh, I think it was around 65 yards. So they were able to move the ball there in the second half. And, you know, they had the opportunity to run out the clock. But Adazio, you know, as we've seen throughout his time here at BC, takes out his John Madden How to Coach Football 101 book from 1972. And he runs it up the middle two times, uh, you know, right into a stacked Georgia Tech line. On third down, of course, uh, was the uh, fumbled snap, although if you go back and watch the play, the line fired right off the ball on the snap, so that was going to be a third straight running play that BC ran, and I, I think it set the tone there. The momentum just swung right there, and uh, uh, I just had an ugly feeling as soon as Georgia Tech got the ball back. Obviously, as you mentioned, though, that, that you know the fourth down when he didn't go for it and kicked it was – you know, a very questionable decision. Uh, soft zone coverage, which on that fourth and 20 play, which he doubled down on Monday saying it was the right move. Um, I, I'd be interested in your take. What, what what was kind of the, you know, most painful Adazio call there late in the game for you? I have to agree with you. I think that last drive drove me up the wall. There was a part of me that was hoping that with Scott Loeffler here, that something was going to change in Adazio where he would, you know, buck up a little bit at the end of games and, and be a little bit more aggressive that we just saw Patrick Tolles throw some really pretty passes. He had a nice pass to Michael Walker. He had another nice one that was a little out of bounds um, in the end zone before he scrambled in. And I thought, you know, this guy's moving the ball well with his, with his arm and his feet, you know, why don't roll him out a little bit, see what happens, Tr- take a chance. What's the worst that's going to happen. If you really think your defense is going to stop them, why does it matter if it's an incomplete pass or a running play? Just take a chance. You know, those first downs are what's going to put the game out of reach for Georgia Tech. Instead, we got three running plays and nothing out of it. And, in you, I mean, I think everyone on Twitter, all the fans, the analysts saw what happened with BC's offense and knew exactly how that game was going to end. And even with some good defensive stops on that last drive, BC just couldn't do it, you know, and that, that the, the soft coverage, that's been kind of another paramount of what Adazio has done since he's been here. Don Brown did the same thing. I can remember that game against Colorado State. There was a third down along there, too, and they couldn't stop him. So it's not been a new thing for a defensive coordinator to do that. I don't blame Jim Reed for that. I mean, it's partially him, but I think it's, again, it's Adazio. So, Eric. Oh, definitely, and and – if Adazio, you know, in the off season, he wanted to own the defense. He went out of his way on media day to say, you know, this isn't Don Brown's defense. This is BC's defense. You know, I'm the one that hires the guys. This is my philosophy. So, yeah, if he's going to own it when BC's, you know, the top two or three defense in the country, then, you know, he's got to own it too. And, uh, you know, for the second time, as you mentioned, in a couple of years, they lost the game giving up, uh, you know, a fourth and 20 conversion. Yeah, and so I think that raises a question that's going to be, you know, looked at for the remainder of the season until we see something differently. We're starting to see a trend with Adazio, and I think Temple fans and Florida fans can all jump in and, and, and probably agree with this, with this very, very heat, timid play calling near the end of games. Is this something that he can change, or is this something he's just going to keep doubling down and saying that he's doing the right thing? Do you think he's going to ever – adjust his style of play or is this is what is this the sword Adazio is going to die on no I I think this is you know what it's going to be he's shown too many times um you know this is 
this is what he does. He's a conservative coach um, that, you know, likes to have a strong running game and, you know, shorten the game and not take chances. And, you know, hey, you know, what what that what that's going to do is it's going to keep BC close against teams like Clemson and Florida State, um, you know, and, and actually have a game in the fourth quarter, but, you know, pro- probably not going to pull off any kind of upsets. And what it's also going to do is I, I think it's going to cause them to lose games against, you know, teams like Georgia Tech and maybe down, further down the line like Syracuse or NC State, these teams that are kind of even with BC and, uh, uh, you know, just with his conservative nature it's uh it's gonna it's gonna continue to cost the team some games and um i i don't know what i don't know what the solution is at this point i guess you know fans are just gonna have to live with it but it will be interesting against umass this weekend because uh uh mark whipple is definitely an aggressive coach i i watched umass uh play florida and uh you know there was a situation in the first quarter, UMass was down seven to nothing. They had a fourth and ten from like the Florida forty-five, and uh, Whipple went for it, and they converted, and they actually ended up in a touchdown drive that tied the game at seven to seven. But that—that's kind of the thing that BC is going to be going up against this weekend is uh, uh, a guy who's throwing all his chips in on the table on Mark Whipple, and he's going to take chances against BC and. Uh, uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit worried about this one. Yeah, it's not, it's definitely not, you don't have that feeling that we had in 2014 where it was that first battle of the Bay state. And I think a lot of fans were really energized after that 2013 season with, you know, Tyler Murphy coming in and everything like that. So let's look at, I want to look at one place specifically, and I've been reading some people who are had some, I, I don't want to say conspiracy theories, but that fourth and two, where BC decided to go for that second field goal attempt, the one that they missed. I've seen some people thinking that Scott Loeffler actually called for the play to go on for a fourth and two attempt, and that Adazio might have overruled him, called that timeout to kick the field goal. Do you think that could have been a possibility? Um, I actually hope for Adazio's case it was because um, it was just – it was just really sloppy coaching by him right there. They, they blew a timeout on a fourth and two. And, you know, I can see if you call the timeout to think about, you know, if you're going to, I can see calling a timeout if you're going to go for it and they're like, all right, let's, you know, think about this and think about what we want to run here. I mean, it's, it blows my mind that the guy blows a timeout to just throw the field goal on field goal team on the field to kick a field goal. It's like, have a little conviction in what you want to do, coach. And furthermore, it's almost like he's icing his kicker when he calls a timeout like that. And, uh, you know, uh, he was the kicker was already having kind of a tough day, and, you know, that's not helping matters when he's got to stand on the sidelines and kind of think about it before the kick. So it really baffles me when um, stuff like that happens because that's just not, you know, it's an example of the coach not making a quick and decisive decision and just kind of, the team falls that lead, I think. Yeah. So uh, time, to, time to change gears here, to care, here a little bit. We have our first guest. His name is Michael Traney. He is of FightMassachusetts.com, and he's here to talk to us a little bit about the upcoming Battle of the Bay State. Michael, are you here with us? I am. Can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? 
Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me. Great, great. Well, we were just actually talking a little bit about UMass. Eric was talking about uh, Whip, Mark Whipple's um, aggressive style and how that kept uh, UMass in that game down in the swamp. Uh, how, what else did you see out of UMass in that game that helped them stick, stick with a good team like Florida down in the swamp? Oh, well, I mean, I was there in, uh, as a fan in person, but uh, you could see that the uh, the dedication to the running game with uh, Marquise Young. Marquise Young is definitely the best player on the team. Last year at points, um, they didn't use him nearly as much as uh, you would think they would, given how talented he is, but they uh, they stuck with the run, very dedicated to it, you know, for the entire game. Even though they weren't gaining a ton of yards, Young did not have a lot of room to maneuver out there, but Sticking with it helped them control the clock a little bit. It didn't force them into quick three and outs and giving the ball away, which, you know, certainly would have uh, led to it snowballing for the Gators. But that and UMass's defensive play that game, where that was pretty, it was one of the best games I've ever seen UMass's defense play, especially since they've moved up to FBS against a, a quality opponent. Yeah, and, and that actually, I was thinking a lot about UMass's defense. I was really impressed with how they played. And uh, BC's head coach, Steve Adazio, went out of his way during his press conference today to really compliment the speed of UMass's defense. Now, we saw UMass, come, uh, you know, we played you guys two years ago, and the defense did pretty well against BC. But it seems like the speed is the, the big difference. And as Adazio alluded to some recruitment um, on that defensive front. What have you seen in a change in philosophy or change in style in UMass's defense over the last couple of years? Uh, I mean, the, the style, the philosophy is, is pretty similar, but it, it, uh, what it really does come down to is the recruiting, the athleticism, and the speed is much better. And you noticed it a lot in this game against Florida. They were dedicated to blitzing and, and causing havoc the whole game. At points in the last couple of years, they, they wouldn't do that so much, but they would always sort of harken back to the fact that they didn't necessarily have the horses to do it. Uh, but now with the recruits they brought in, they really targeted, uh, you know, they've gotten more of that FBS athleticism that you need on defense, and uh, it really showed – in this game against Florida, uh, they brought in a few junior college transfers or a couple of early enrollees, uh, Teddy Lowry and Ali Ali Musa, who uh, played very well against Florida. They played almost, you know, you know, they played basically the whole game. And they have some other junior college transfers that they brought in in the summer as well. Um, a lot of top quality athletes, and that's what they needed. And it really showed they, they created a lot of havoc on Florida's, uh, uh, for Florida's offense to deal with, especially their offensive line. And that's a very good unit. I think, you know, against a, a less stout unit, um, UMass would have had a lot, you know, more success, you know, more sacks, more maybe created a, a, some turnovers. Neither team turned the ball over in that game, but uh, yeah, their defensive speed and aggression was was a very big step for them. And you know, hopefully they can continue that forward for this entire year. All right, switching hey, uh, sides of the. Uh, oh, go ahead, Eric. Oh, is Eric, uh, just just up again. Uh, you know, I see um, UMass working in a, a new QB this year and. Uh, I don't know. From what I can tell, he he seems to be um, more of a I don't know a dual threat quarterback than uh, you know the downfield passing game um, that they've had in the last few years. Am, am I seeing that correctly? Or tell us kind of about uh, what kind of style offense they have with this new quarterback. Right. Well, yeah, Ross Comus is definitely more of a dual threat than you would have seen the last couple of years with Blake Thronapple. Front apple definitely more the traditional pocket passer, the big guy. You know, he was six six, two forty. You know, had the had a good arm and everything. Uh, Comus is only six feet. You know, he's over two hundred pounds, but he's only six feet tall. But he does have the uh, the dual threat qualities to his game. Uh, you know, his last year in high school, he went to high school in Weirton, West Virginia. 
he accounted, he, you know, he led them to the state title that year, undefeated season, and he accounted for a ton of points both, you know, through the air and with his legs. They're still running the same offense. It's, it's, you know, they haven't really changed the pro-style attack that Mark Whipple likes to run. You know, he's obviously very dedicated to being a pro-style coach, and, and that's the offense he calls. But what it does allow him to do with Comus in there is put in some zone read looks or allow Comus to make plays with his feet if he needs to. Uh, Comus, you know, scored the only touchdown for the Minutemen on a bit of a broken play. So, you know, that escapability, that mobility back there is, is a big change um, from what we've seen the last couple of years. It's a whole new dynamic, and hopefully it'll be uh, a dynamic that helps the offense move forward a little bit. But it is definitely still the pro-style attack, you know, pro-style sets, movement, all that stuff. Uh, you know, that hasn't changed. It's just that there's a, a more athletic guy back there uh, making the calls. This is Michael Traney of FightMassachusetts.com. You can follow him on Twitter at, at rsox1221. Uh, Michael, our um, BC fans are, you know, we're obviously a little dejected after last Saturday's loss. It was a, a good gut punch for many of us. Um, how are UMass fans feeling about this game? Are you guys feeling pretty confident? You think you're, you're, uh, are, the, are the fans going to be showing up in, in good numbers this year? What, what's the deal? UMass fans are feeling, I, would say, I wouldn't say overconfident, but, you know, they feel pretty good, especially on the heels of this game against Florida. Uh, you know, initially the game against Florida, they opened up as 36-point underdogs, and if, and if that game had uh, followed that type of spread, you know, people would be a lot less confident than they were uh, after, you know, playing them very tight, you know, 10-7 going into the fourth quarter in the swamp. You know, they know you, uh, Boston College's recent struggles as well, so, and it, it is a big rivalry game, you know, it certainly is on our end, uh, you know, I know there's some debate with uh, some BC folks how big a rivalry it is on their end, but for us, it, it is certainly a rivalry, the two FBS programs in Massachusetts going at it. Uh, they feel pretty good, and uh, they feel like, you know, obviously D.C. is going to be the favorite in this game. No one would doubt that, but that, you know, the opportunity really is there for UMass to come through and, and win this game on Saturday, and that would be a big step forward for them as an FBS program. Michael Trady of FightMassachusetts.com. Uh, final question. Uh, let's go on to predictions. I hate asking everyone predictions, but we're going to look ahead. Uh, put on your thinking cap. Do you think UMass is going to win this? Do you think it's going to be uh, just covering the spread? Where Where are we going here with the predictions here for this game on Saturday at Gillette? Right. Well, I figured uh, I'd have to come up with a prediction for this one. I mean, the spread right now is about 17 points. BC is favored by 17 points. I certainly think that'll be covered. I, I think that might be, uh, you know, I'm not surprised by that spread, but I think it'll be covered. I'm, I am going to say, though, I've got enough confidence in the, in the Minutemen that it could be a, it'll be a Minutemen win. You know, we'll call it 21-20. UMass takes it on Saturday. All right, Michael. Uh, Eric, any last questions? Hey, was Eric. All right, I might have lost Eric. Uh, Michael Trainey, thank you for calling in, and uh, have fun on Saturday. Oh, you guys as well. Thanks very much for having me. All right, take care. That was Michael Trainey of FightMassachusetts.com. It was an interesting conversation to talk a little bit about UMass. It's, it seems to be, I lost Eric, but it seems to be uh, two programs with very differing viewpoints on where their programs are heading. I know a lot of BC fans right now rightfully feel – Pretty dejected about oh, – I got Eric back. Uh, feel pretty dejected about where BC is heading. And after a big um, – a good contest in an SEC – against an SEC program, seems like UMass fans are pretty – feeling pretty confident about this. Eric, are you feeling worried about this game on Saturday? Um, yeah, I, I am. 
I think this is basically UMass's Super Bowl to to be able to beat BC at Gillette would you know probably pretty much make the year for this whole team and their fans um, I know get revved up for this game and would love 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 nothing more than to beat BC and you know for BC you know Dazio can say all he wants to get these guys pumped up but you know they're coming off a trip from Ireland and they have Virginia Tech up next to obviously as a name brand opponent so it's kind of this tough tough scheduled game kind of sandwiched in between two two games that I know that the players were looking forward to all off season so um, there's a lot of reasons to be nervous about this this game for BC and uh, um, and obviously we I mean I didn't even throw out something that you've mentioned and um, our friend from UMass mentioned is that UMass played Florida really, really tough down the swamp last weekend. So there's no reason to think, you know, on their home field, they can't do the same with BC. Yeah. I'm a little worried too. I, I see a few things with BC. I worry that first of all, that there's going to be that letdown feeling after Ireland. It, it, it's a right. deflating feeling to lose that type of game in that type of fashion. And I can't imagine for some of these seniors and juniors that have had to live through game after game of that, that it's, it's starting to grade on them. And as you said before, UMass is going to be geared up for this game. It's huge for them. It's huge for their fans. Um, so I think the biggest thing, and, and it goes back to our worries that we started off at the beginning, the biggest thing that's going to dictate how this game goes is how Adazio attacks this game. If he goes into conservative run, 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 UMass can stick with them. I think that UMass, uh, you know, they, they showed against a team like Florida that they can stay there and, and, and be part of the game for three quarters. And I don't know. I don't know if BC has the horses to pull it off after four quarters. But if Adazio goes out there, let's Tolls throw a few more times, you know, and I don't know if he will that might open up the defense a little bit more on UMass's side so that BC can attack and get those bigger plays. And they're going to need to make some big plays to really set this game apart. Yeah, you know, the the one thing I did see in the Florida game was uh, Florida did have success passing. Um, you know, granted their receivers are much faster than BC's, but um, still they, they were getting very, very open um, you know, 10, 20 yards down the field. So there certainly are BC players that could do that against UMass. Now, whether, like you said, Adazio is going to try and take advantage of that or, you know, if he's uh, going to try and pound the rock on UMass. And just one more thing I wanted to mention uh, that, that makes things a little tricky for BC, that the UMass defense um, does run a 3-4 defense, um, which BC doesn't see a lot during the season. Um, so that could be an additional kind of tricky obstacle for the team here. You know, it changes up blocking schemes and, you know, with this younger offensive line, I don't know how that's going to affect them. So that's just kind of another wild card to throw in that, um, you know, unfortunately for BC is another wild card factor that I think helps UMass and not BC. And yeah, you know, I think that's something good to look at and, you know, we've been looking at a lot of the, the, the worries and concerns, I do want to say there were, you know, watching that game, there were things that I felt good about. And I'm sure you probably did too. I thought 
the big two biggest things that I felt BC improved on was their wide receivers. I was very impressed that we actually have a core of wide receivers that I feel can catch the ball and run good routes and the offensive line. I thought um, Chris Lindstrom looked excellent out there. Uh, and, you know, other than a few other plays, uh, Jimmy Lowry, I thought ha- he, I believe he was the one that helped break that, t- that run for Hilleman um, with a nice second level block. And I thought they had a great game. And, um, you know, I think those two things for the Eagles were two steps forward. And I think that, you know, we're, as we're looking at all the things that we're worried about, I don't want to forget that there were some good things that came out of that game. Yeah. The right, like you said, the right side of the line, Lindstrom and Lowry both played really well. And that's where BC had success running. And uh, I'd also throw into your um, uh, breakdown, just, Patrick Tolles, that was just another huge upgrade, I think, um, his play over anything that BC got from the quarterback position last year. So, um, yeah, you know, there there were a lot of positive factors on the offense, and um, you got to look at that. I, You know, it, it took them, you know, kind of a half to get things rolling. So, uh, you know, hopefully with that game under their belt, uh, they, they can kind of get the – get the ball rolling a little bit quicker this weekend because, uh, you know, if, if they're down at halftime or something, UMass, uh, it's going to start feeling very heavy on these players after the year they went through last year to start out 0-1 and then be down, you know, on what is pretty much a road game at UMass. We're here. This is BC Interruption Radio. Uh, this is Eric Hossis. You can follow him on Twitter at EA Hossis. And I am AJ Black. You can follow me on Twitter at BC Hysteria. Eric, the game is Saturday. It's a noon start. I know a lot of BC fans are going to try to make that trek. I will be there. I'm going to be tailgating with family and friends. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I know a lot of UMass fans are going to be there. Uh, just some uh, side notes. If you're traveling to the game, make sure you check our site. You need to have specific bags if you're going to try to bring them into Gillette Stadium. It's a little different than what BC has. You need to have specific, like, little clear bags, and it's all uh, showed out, um, displayed on our site, what you need to bring and what you don't need to bring. Second thing I found out today is that there's a revolution game after the BC UMass game that night. So there is no post-game tailgating. So you might want, if you're looking for a beer afterwards, and hopefully it's a beer of victory and not drinking your sorrows away, you're going to have to find one outside of Gillette Stadium. So those are two things that you might want to uh, consider for Saturday. And just, you know, looking ahead, the weather looks good. It's going to be partly sunny. It's going to be about 75. So it's a perfect day for some uh, early fall football. Now, Eric, we're going to get to the good stuff. Let's talk about predictions. UMass and BC, it's the second installment of the Battle of the Bay State. This was a game that we didn't expect, but came about because of some uh, creative scheduling um, who do you have in this game and what do you have as a final score? Go ahead. Uh, I have BC winning, uh, you know, something like 24 to 20. Um, I, I think it's, it's similar to that game, uh, at Gillette a couple of years ago where it's very close the whole way. And, you know, BC fans aren't feeling comfortable that, um, it, it, it's going to be a win till the very end. And, uh, uh, it should it should be fun though. How about you? What do you got for a final score? I have something similar. I have twenty four. Well, it's not similar, but I don't think BC is going to cover the spread. I'm going to go with BC twenty four, UMass ten. 
And I think BC will eventually pull away a little at the end. Um, I think that's where they're going to start, just like what Florida did, where Florida kind of battled with them for three quarters and then pulled away in that fourth quarter. I think BC is going to have the same similar result in the trenches, both on offense and defense. So I think that fourth quarter is where BC will probably pull off a touchdown or two to really pull away. All right, so that wraps up our second episode of BC Interruption Radio. I want to thank my co-host, Eric Hostis, who I realized last episode didn't know the whole uh, sign-off situation that I had with Dan Rubin when he used to be the host of this great show. So, So, Eric, at the end of every episode, we say we have final few words, and that is go Eagles. So you say, go Eagles. All right. All right. 